0: Welcome back to our study of Proverbs, and we are still in Proverbs 6, but there's a lot to learn here. So let's read, uh, beginning with verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you, and when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamb and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the great privilege of being able to teach your word. But, oh God, I pray most of all that you will save, Lord, the young people who are listening to this Proverbs that they will know Jesus for there is nothing greater than knowing him and the salvation that is found only in his name. So father, please work in their hearts. Let them see that all the principles and commands and acts of obedience are meaningless unless we have renounced all self-righteousness and are trusting in Christ alone. Oh, Father, work now through your word in Jesus name. Amen. Like I said in my prayer, it's always the case. I love the book of Proverbs. It is astounding, but the book of Proverbs cannot save us. Only the atonement, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross can save us. And we are called upon to turn away from our self-righteousness, to acknowledge our sin, repent of our sin and to trust in him. Now, not trust in him plus something else, but trust in him exclusively, only. If I died right now, after 40 years of teaching the Bible, 40 years of seeking to serve him, I would go to heaven for the same reason that a new convert of five minutes goes to heaven, because Jesus Christ died for my sins. That's our only hope. I like to say this. As a matter of fact, um, I've asked for this to be put on my tombstone one day. I've contributed nothing to my salvation, but my sin and nothing to my ministry, but my weakness. It's only Christ. It's only Christ. Now, in verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Here we have a call not just to learn, but a call to obedience. We learn so that we might obey with regard to his will, with regard to his person, we learn so that we might trust and worship. So in verse 20 is a call to obedience. Verse 21, bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. This is the means of obeying. I mean, we're called to obey, but but how can we do it? Well, you can't obey something you don't know. And so we need to study God's word. But more than that, we need to study it, memorize it, meditate upon it to such a degree that it is what we call internalized. It becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of us. Now, in verse 22, we're going to look at the promise of obedience. Very, very important. He says, when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will Talk to you. Now, let's look at each one of these phrases and see what they mean and how they apply to our life. First of all, he says, When you walk about, they will guide you. And one of the overarching themes of this entire um, chapter six that we've been looking at is only the scriptures are able to help us navigate through the dark seas of this world. Let me just tell you something and you might get angry with me, but if you disagree, just go ask your mom and dad. You're not as smart as you think you are. Not only do you not know all the answers, you don't even know most of the questions. You need wisdom. And wisdom wasn't born with you. It it wasn't innate in you. You need to learn wisdom. You need to acquire wisdom to navigate through this world. I have been in some pretty deep jungles and done okay. You know why? Not because I knew what I was doing, but because the people that I was with, they knew what they were doing. And I learned from them. I followed them. Even after all these years, I think I could make my way <laughs> through there, but I'd feel a lot more comfortable if I was with one of them acting as a guide. Do you see? So. This world spiritually and morally is far more dangerous than any jungle. And we do not have the wisdom to navigate. We do not have the eyes to see. We do not have the discernment innately that we need. And so we constantly study the word of God. Here's the question that I have for you. Let's say you're 12. (laughs) What do you know? I mean, you're 12 or 14. Or 18, what do you really know? You don't know a whole lot about the world, but whoa, got a phone call there. You don't know a lot about the world, and you don't know a lot about the spiritual dangers that are out there. And so, what do you need? You need to get in the Word of God. Now, some of you may say, "Oh, I listen to every one of these proverbs, and half the time he's just always telling us to get into the Word." Well, then you're understanding uh, these lessons because that's what Proverbs, at least in the first several chapters, it constantly is talking about one thing. Listen, incline your ear, pay attention to the word because only the word, only the scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation, but also to help us navigate through this world. Now, he says here, when you walk about So what is it telling us? The scriptures are not just a guide for religion or even for morality, but the scriptures guide us in every sphere of existence. Okay? Too many times, uh, young people, I think, I think all of us are prone to think, oh, I need the Bible so I can go to church on Sunday. No, you need the Bible so that you can go to work on Monday. You need the Bible so that you can, uh, you can marry properly and be a husband or a wife uh, who walks with dignity. You need, you need the word of God to know how to be a father, a mother. You need the word of God to know how to be a child, a friend, a brother, a sister. Even if you go through the book of Proverbs and many other places, you will find enough information to make you wise unto, with regard to business, with regard to government, with regard to every sphere of activity in the human life. When you walk about, when you go anywhere, the scriptures contribute. The scriptures contribute. I know medical doctors and surgeons who would tell you, they would testify that their, their profession, that, that they are renowned in their profession, not just because of their knowledge of medicine, but because of their knowledge of scripture. There are lawyers and politicians that can say the same thing. There are salesmen and, and housewives and homeschool moms and mechanics and engineers, and they will all tell you that part of their success is due to the fact that they have studied God's word and that they have learned to apply it to every aspect of their life. Now, it says here, when you walk about, they will guide you. Now, the word guide is often used with regard to God um, guiding his people, not just through um, easy times, but guiding his people through the greatest difficulties so that they arrive at the destination that he has determined. I'll give you an example. In Exodus 15, 13, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. He has guided them to the place that he wanted them to be, okay? And he he guides us practically through his word. Now, there are times when we can be disobedient or ignorant of his word and he can come down and kind of grab us by the back of the neck and turn our head in the right direction. But practically and usually, God leads us through his word. Now, I wanna show you something. I want you to hold your place in Proverbs. And I wanna go to something that's very, very important. And I want us to go for just a moment to the book of James, if you will. Chapter 1, verse 13. I want to talk about God's guidance. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now, I'd like to read that whole passage, but we don't have time. The main truth that I want to bring out is God is never going to lead you into sin. And he's never going to lead you into places that are going to set before you the opportunity to sin and cause you to fall. Um, God does not work that way. If you have put yourself in a situation where you are surrounded by moral danger, you put yourself there. And you need to recognize it. Don't blame God. God is always going to lead you in paths of righteousness. He's always, through his word, going to give you warnings about fleeing, about running away from evil and running away from temptation. So if you find yourself in the midst of all that, you put yourself there. So listen to the warnings of Scripture. I'm amazed when I go through Proverbs, even when I go through the epistles of Paul, especially to Timothy, how many times he tells us to flee. Not to fight sin, not to fight sinful situations, but just get out of there. Stay away from there. Recognize the danger and just move on. But there is so much And so many young people, particularly so foolish and that they tempt God in the sense that they draw near to the fire, thinking they won't be sucked in or that God will somehow deliver them at the last moment. No, when you see sin, you see temptation, you see danger run. That's the will of God for you. And so it says that he guides them to his holy habitation. He guides them to the place he wants them to be. And if you end up somewhere else, well, that's your doing. And so I want us to assume responsibility for what we do. And also young person recognize there's consequences to your actions. No, you don't have to listen, but you will have to suffer for not listening. Uh, I used to hear it said so often when I was younger, you can talk all day about breaking God's law, but in the end it's God's law that will break you. And that is so true. So heed the warnings now. Recognize that God is going to lead you in paths of righteousness. And if you're walking in paths of unrighteousness, you need to get out of there. You need to fear. Um, I have listened at times and read about some of the greatest fighters in the world. And uh, there's something interesting. You would think that these guys are not afraid of anything. And that's not true. They fear. They know what they should fear. And they they seek to avoid it, to prevent it, to watch out for it, to be able to block it. They'll even feed on that fear in the sense that that fear generates in them an energy to escape it, to get away from it, to prepare for it. There are things of which you should be greatly afraid sinful things that can destroy body and soul. What I'm doing here is not a game. And I want you to realize that. I'm a pretty busy person working with missions and missionaries every day. I'm taking time out to do this with you young people because I know it's so important. It's not a matter of just you getting your best life now. It's a matter of life and death. And so listen very carefully. You'll either be guided by the world, you'll be guided by your own foolishness, or you'll be guided by God. And you're only going to be guided by God to the degree that you study God's word and internalize God's word. Now, let's go on. The word guide here. Okay, so he says, when you walk about, they, the commandments, will guide you. It is often used with regard to the leadership of, Of a shepherd, you know, God as a shepherd leading his people through this world and by his word. For example, in Psalms 23, 1 and 2, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He guides me beside quiet waters. Now, do you want to be shepherded? You say, no, I wanna stand on my own. Well, before you say that, let me just inform you about something. You're a sheep. Have you ever seen a wolf? When I was a little boy, I used to think to myself, what's the problem here with a wolf? I mean, it's just a dog. And uh, I think I could take on one. I mean, you know, just you know, I've had dogs run at me before, I just kick them in the head. So what's the problem with a wolf? And one day I saw a wolf. They're like this tall and their heads are like this big, and and they are ferocious. Well, just know this, this world is full of a lot of wolves and you're a sheep. And in this world, there is one like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You need a shepherd, you need a shepherd. Why did I do all right in the jungle or in the middle of a war? Well, because I was with people who knew what they were doing. It wasn't because of me. How do you get along in this world? By staying close to the shepherd and by doing what he says. But you can't do what he says if you don't know what he says. And you can't know what he says if you ignore his word. Now, when people do not have a shepherd, what are they like? I want to read from you from Matthew nine thirty-six. He says, seeing the people, Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You know, animals are pretty sensitive to danger. Uh, We raised we didn't raise sheep. We raised cattle and quarter horses. But it it was amazing. Uh, There were times when we had these what we call feral dogs that would run through our ranch it'd be a big pack of them at times. And uh, there was something about the cattle. They just knew when those things were getting near, even when I didn't, or even a more experienced guy didn't recognize what was going on. It seems like they could sense it and they would become nervous and anxious and, and disruptive and ready to flee at any moment. Well, that's the way we are without a shepherd. Um, throughout my life, I've been in many, many situations where if I had not known that Jesus was faithful and omnipotent, I would have been so terrified. But knowing that he was there was what made us all strong. And so the, the wolf, the lion. They're, they're not afraid of the sheep. They're not. There's nothing to be afraid of. They're afraid of the shepherd. And if the sheep want to be safe, then they need to stick right beside the shepherd. They need to be guided by him. Now, I would recommend you pray all the time and you develop your relationship with Christ. But I, I just want you to tell, tell you something. He's going to lead you Primarily by ordinary means, by the word that he has spoken. You know, there's an interesting thing. When God talks to Solomon, Solomon basically says, you know, God, after he's made a king, he says, you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't know what to do. I need your help. Give me wisdom. And God gives him wisdom and God promises him all kinds of things. But, you know, I wondered, I used to wonder, I'd sit there and go, when God talked to him that time, why didn't God say, hey, Solomon, later on in your life, uh, you're going to make the mistake, the sin of amassing horses and wealth and your heart's going to be lifted up and also you're. You're going to amass concubines and wives and everything. Don't do that, Solomon, because you're going to you're going to mess up everything. I often wondered, why didn't God just at that moment tell Solomon that? Do you know why I think he didn't? Because he already did. in Deuteronomy 17 in his word, he speaks to the kings. He speaks to the men who were going to become kings. And he says, when you become a king. You need to you need to take the law and you need to make your own copy in the presence of the priest, which means the priest is also teaching you. You need to not amass wealth or all these things that normal kings do. So he'd already warned Solomon. The problem is Solomon didn't listen to God's word. So as a young person, I don't want you to think that God's going to guide you by somehow opening up the heavens and talking to you in an audible voice. He's already told us everything we need to know in his word. And if you neglect it, don't expect to get some, I don't know, special message. So I plead with you. If you want to be guided by the shepherd, be in his word. Now, I want to show you in Proverbs 7, the very opposite. A young man who's not guided by the word of God. In, in Proverbs 7, verse 6 For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive, that is the foolish. And discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, the corner of an immoral woman. And he takes the way of her house. Now, is he being guided by God's word? Is he being shepherded at this moment by God? No, he's cast aside, abandoned the teachings of God, the teachings of his father, the teachings of his mother, and he's being guided by his own lust, his own evil desires. Maybe he's being guided by already having conversations with this immoral woman, and he's going to go into her, okay, into her house, and it's almost like, an animal going to slaughter, okay? So you have to make a decision. And and you're probably thinking that that I'm going to say, God's going to guide you or you're going to guide you. Well, I I think you shouldn't be so proud. You don't really guide you. The options are God's going to guide you. Are the opinions of this fallen world are going to influence you and become your guide? So many people think, you know, God's Lord of my life or I'm Lord of my life. Well, you're never really Lord of your life because you're so susceptible to the wicked influences of others. So it's better to look at it this way. You're going to submit to. Well, it's don't look at it this way. You're going to submit to the lordship of God or you're going to submit to your own lordship because you're really not Lord. The better way to look at it is you're going to submit to the lordship of God by obeying his word. Or you're going to submit to the lordship of immoral, foolish people. So which one are you going to choose? Do you see that? You say, well, I choose God. Then get in his word. Prove it. Get in his word. Saturate your life in his word. Prove it. Okay. Now. I want us to look at something very, very special. He says, this is beautiful. He says, when you sleep, they will watch over you. Now, I want you to notice the opposites we have. First of all, when you walk and when you sleep, they're polar opposites. Okay, when you're awake, when you're sleeping. That pretty much what's that do? That's talking about your entire life. So what he's saying is the totality of your life will be affected. Every aspect from being asleep to being awake, every aspect of your life will be affected by your by your study and adherence to the word of God or your neglect of the word of God. So there's not one part of your life that won't be touched either by obedience or disobedience. Now, look what else it says. It says, when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk to you. So the word of God will keep you in the center of God's will, which is the safest place you can be, even when you're most Vulnerable. Now, when are you most vulnerable? When you're asleep. You're asleep. Someone can come into your room. Uh, someone can attack you. That's why, during times of great conflict, when when some soldiers are sleeping, there are other soldiers that are awake to warn them of an attack because usually an attack comes at night. And what it's saying here is that if you will stay in the center of God's will, that's the safest place you can be, even when you're most vulnerable. Now, I want us to just go back to Proverbs three twenty-four, And it says this about the commandments. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're studying God's word and submitting your life to God's word, that you'll never have struggles and you'll never submit. But what it does mean is that spiritually and eternally, you're in the safest place you can be when you're in the center of God's will. But again, you can't be in the center of God's will if you don't know God's will. You can't know God's will apart from his word. Now. So. When we talk about protection, I mean all kinds of protection. Being in God's will is the safest place, but especially spiritually and morally. You know, there have been many martyrs who have died terrible deaths, killed by very wicked people, but eternally they were safe. They went into glory. There are others who literally were devoured by this world, by wicked people, they were devoured uh, by their own sinful lust, and they were eternally destroyed. Eternally destroyed. What, what what you've got to see is your physical body is important, and your physical well-being is important. Don't think it's not. But there are spiritual dangers in this world temptations and lies that will lead you into sin and lead you into rebellion against God or neglect of God. And you need to avoid those at all costs. And the only way you can do that is through the word of God. Now he goes on and he says this when you awake, they will talk to you. Okay. now here's what I want you to see. This is so important. We're going on a little long, but man, this is important. If you can get this, young people. You're going to be doing great. Okay. now I want you to think about something. The word talks to you. So you're lying on your bed and you can't, you know, you haven't gone to sleep yet. What is he saying? It would be best if at that time you were meditating on the word of God so that God's word is talking to you. So while you're trying to go to sleep, the word is talking to you. Then you fall asleep. But when you awake, I tell you, I'm getting a lot of phone calls <laughs> when you awake, the word is there to meet you. And you take up the conversation again. And do you see what's going on? So the, I'm laying there at night. Meditating on the word. It's like the word is talking to me, having a conversation with me. That wake, I go to bed go to sleep, wake up. And the moment I wake up, the conversation continues. Do you see that? The conversation continues. And I've written here, God's word is waiting for you in the morning. You should commune with your best and most faithful friend first before we commune with anyone else. Now, this is wisdom, But now, for some of you young people who are very, very, how can I say it? You're very sincere and very diligent. I don't want you to fall into legalism. And I don't want you to fall into condemnation. I don't want you to think every night Brother Paul goes to sleep thinking only about Scripture, talking to him. And when he wakes up, the first thing he hears is Scripture. That's not always the case. Sometimes the first thing I hear is my seven-year-old daughter coming in the room saying, Daddy, wake up, it's Saturday, and I want to play. But what I'm trying to tell you is that the Scripture should be this this kind of friend to you, that it should take up a greater portion of our thoughts. Now, when that doesn't happen, I don't want you walking in condemnation or thinking you're horrible or you're not a Christian or that— This is something that I want us to grow more and more into. The word of God is there at night when we go to sleep and the word of God is there in the morning when we wake up. And I do think it's wise that if the very first person that talks to us in the morning. Is God through his word. Now, um. Psalms 5, 3. Listen to what it says. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. So it's not only speaking to God, but waiting to hear from God. And we have God's revelation in his word. So we don't have to pray and then wait in silence for a voice. Uh, we need to pray and we can wait in silence. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to get ourselves into the word of God, where we hear an inerrant, infallible, inspired message. Now, I want to show you, you know, Jesus is always our example, isn't he? I'm going to show you a passage that maybe you're not familiar with. It is in uh, Isaiah 50, and it's one of what we call the servant songs. So. In in Isaiah, there are these chapters that refer specifically to the Messiah, like Isaiah 53, which you're all familiar with, verses 1 through 12. But here, I want you to look at verse 4 of Isaiah 50, 4 through 6. This is the Messiah, okay? This is a prophecy talking about the Messiah. And one of the things that's so quickly, so so clearly pointed out here is that the Messiah, although God is God in the flesh, he's a true man. This is what it says. Verse four, the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. As we know from the book of Luke, the Messiah as a child grew, not only in stature, but wisdom. He grew in his knowledge of God through the study of scripture. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. Now listen what it says. Now this is, this is the Messiah. This is the only perfect man. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Then it goes on to talk about how he knew God taught him what he had to do, and he didn't turn back. He willingly gave himself to be beaten, to be crucified for the redemption of his people. But the point that I want to make to you is he's our example. Now, if the perfect man, Jesus, God and man, if he's awakened every morning, in order to hear the word of God, how much more should we follow him in this matter? That the first thing that we hear is him through his word. Now, I want to tell you something, it's it's a lot lot easier to say than to do. You know, uh, working in the ministry, especially with missionaries around the world, I oftentimes will wake up and the first thought is, oh, there's a problem or I got to get to the office or someone's uh, in trouble on the foreign field or someone's in prison or someone's being persecuted. And, and um, all that requires an urgent response. But I can tell you that sometimes I've been I've been foolish and I've been disobedient and jump out of bed and and just running to a task when I should have tarried, when I should have been in the word, um, the greatest gift that you can give to the world is to be a godlier man, a godlier woman, a godlier youth or child, you see? Um, And that only happens by you spending time with the Lord. Now, of course, there are moments that are urgent, but as a practice, this should be our practice. And I hope, that you learn stuff from what i'm teaching you but i hope that you develop a relationship with the word of god where you learn far more and not through the medium of a man but through your own study of scripture all right all right well we'll take up the next lesson um we'll continue here in in a uh, proverb six god bless you let's pray father i pray that you would work in the heart of your Your people, especially the heart of the the youth and the children that are listening to this study, I pray, dear God, that you would bless them and strengthen them, that they would be true disciples of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.